Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without creating division and community. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the care pastor here at Hill City, where we record this and every episode of the podcast. And I'm here with my co-host, lead pastor, co-pastor, team member of Hill City, John Wagler. Wags, what's going on, man? Uh, it's vacation time, it feels like, for everybody. Yeah. You went, in and out and all that. You went to the Land of Mormon. The Land of Mormon. Utah. Y- yeah. Um, Salt Lake City. Uh, we stopped in there for half a day. Mm-hmm. I would classify that as the most underwhelming city in America. Um, <laughs> and they like it that way. <laughs> and uh, it really was, I, we didn't, I didn't have like super high expectations mm-hmm. going there. Um, but I was completely underwhelmed. Like I couldn't, like I couldn't believe they have an NBA team. I just, it, that was the part that bothered me the most. Shots fired at Utah. Yeah. Um, now we then stayed at Park City, which is just beautiful. Mm. I mean, that it's truly beautiful. What was one, be- I don't know anything about this Park City. What was one, all I saw was that you guys were watching like Olympic style yeah. skiing. <laughs> well, yeah. And then we went to the Olympic park that was there okay you know because they had the olympics that were there okay. and so they have a training facility there and we rode the bobsled literally rode in the bobsled no. 75 miles an hour absolutely not and it was a stupid decision i'm glad i did it but it was so dumb because beforehand i was thinking to myself i i get sick on roller coasters so i don't ride them oh. right so but my i don't know why i thought this would be different because i was like you know like i love like driving fast things and do it like there were other like not like i've been on tubes were going like super fast and like those those things don't bother yeah. me and everything and so we get in so we just you go up to the top of the bobsled and you think there must be a training video because mm-hmm. like we're about to go 75 miles per hour on something that yeah. <laughs> like you just die on yeah <laughs> and you have a driver but like they just literally you go up to the top they hand you a helmet and then you just hop in the sled <laughs> and all of a sudden say, feel the rhythm yeah feel the <laughs> i'm like i said like i was like i wonder how many times people have done that I mean, you I know hope every time <laughs> But um, we go on the, we start going down, we go on the first turn, and in my head, it felt like someone, I put my head in a vice, it was just really? like turning it, and I was like, oh, this was a mistake, please don't puke on this ride, <laughs> please yeah. puke on this In ride. this helmet. <laughs> At least if you puke on a, on a roller coaster, it goes uh, <laughs> Man, it was crazy. It's crazy, I mean, we went 75 miles an hour, it's crazy to think that they go 90 to 110. Yeah. That's wild. Um, what was something yeah. beautiful there? Like, when you say beautiful, was there, like, yeah. a mountain? Was it, what is Yeah, it? I mean, it's surrounded by mountains. Okay. And so you're, um, it, 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 it takes your breath away, on, actually, literally, the altitude. It yeah. took us a couple of days <laughs> yeah. to get used to it. Yeah. Um, but the, it's just beautiful. Mm. Like, you just, every turn, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, this is the view that people have all the time, Yeah, you know? And, um, cause that's not like that here, you mm-hmm. know, or in so many other places. And mm-hmm. so it's just, it's like wide open. You see it. The sky is different. The stars are different. The just feel is totally different. I mean, it's truly a beautiful part of the country. It's really cool. Yeah. And actually one really cool thing too, just ties in the Bible, I guess, but, or cosmology, I should say, um, Lacey commented on it, but um, when you look at the mountains, it, it's stair step. It looks like it, you know, mm-hmm. mountain ranges always look like they're stair stepped, mm-hmm. and um, and so back in ancient cosmology, they always believed um, that the mountains because they could never get to them, right? So they believed that that's where the gods lived. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Right, and so that the gods were uh, on the mountains and in the ranges, and so when they would design their temples, that's why they always do the stair stepping. Mm. It's in the the design of like how you see a mountain range in the in a far off distance, and that's how they would design their temples because you stair-stepped with the gods. Oh, huh. Yeah. That's fascinating. So that was cool because you could see it. And Lacey just, 
mentioned it. She didn't even mm. know that part of cosmology. Hmm. Very <laughs> cool. Well, we're going to Toledo next week. <laughs> so that should be fun. Toledo, Matt. Toledo, Matt. Is our staff tech's favorite Matt, I think. Oh, man. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, so we haven't started vacation season yet, but we will. Um, so this week, we are going to continue our conversation on the book of Mark, creeping right along all the way to chapter three. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I feel like we had a great conversation last time about demonic influence and yeah. the, the ego and idolatry and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, so uh, this week, we are going to be in um, Mark 3 and just kind of talking about, again, if you're not following along the sermon series that we're on or you're not a part of our community, or even if you're not a person of faith, um we're going to try to not make it too insular, too too much Bible study, and really just talk about sort of the wider themes um, in this book because, man, it's just like every word is... Mark is dense, I feel, because it's short. It's short, yeah. yeah. And so it's very dense. Yeah, um, it makes you really, really think quickly and like trying to find the um, all the kind of hyperlinks to different things. Yeah. And, you know, we're six weeks in, but only in chapter four, you know, on Sundays, mm-hmm. we're going to stay in chapter four even this upcoming sunday so it's yeah there's a lot there Mm -hmm. um so we're going to continue that um before we do that and even before we get into into the feed it's funny i was uh driving uh driving here to record the podcast and i was listening to you know our last podcast to kind of get caught up to where we were and i feel a, gr- a lot of guilt about how it sounds and I was like what do I do with all this guilt and I realized I it's my podcast I can just apologize to everybody for how it sounds so it was like re- I don't know I feel like the mix wasn't good so I apologize mm. I, I don't know if that's a retraction <laughs> I don't know where that goes because I don't know that hosts are always the producers but you know what guys I'm gonna do a better job <laughs> I'm gonna do a better job of mixing the podcast we don't have someone else in the booth mixing yeah we don't we we're don't. in the booth we are a two a two-person operation um so that is that is my promise to you, the listener. Whether it bothered you or not, it bothered the crap out of me. So, <laughs> um, but before we get into the meat of the show, we are going to do our new segment for 2021 from the feed. All right, John, what's going on in in your feed? What's going on in that the eternal scroll of the phone? I hate my algorithms right now. <laughs> I do. I I gotta like. I even, like yesterday, I was like, you know what? Maybe some point this weekend, I'm going to go look at a bunch of different things to shake up my algorithm. <laughs> it's just, it's, there's nothing fun in my feed right now. Mm. It's like a, such a bummer. Like, th- there's a lot of stuff going on, and I was just like, I just, I'm tired of reading about this stuff right now. And I was like, I want some funny things, and and there's enough sports stuff. But um, one random funny thing that I think keeps popping up, and mm. I don't know why it makes me laugh so much, but... There's so many memes going around about 90s, um, like mom jeans. Remember the SNL yeah, skit? Yeah. And how they're like they're talking about that being the Gen Z worship leaders right now. <laughs> and I don't know. It just it's just making me laugh. So. Yeah, yeah. That um, I can't remember. I sent some. Oh, it was like a TikTok that somebody sent me, which I don't. I hate TikTok, but every once in a while there'll be a good one. And it was the. Uh, it was like this guy had made a graph of how you can, it was something about like how you can tell what kind of church you're at. And it's on a scale of Catholic to Joanna Gaines. (laughs) And it was like a sloping graph. (laughs) And it was like, 
if you walk in and your worship team looks like a metrosexual country band, then you're like, you're here on the graph of being a Joanna Gaines uh, church. Uh, it was super funny. Uh, um, another thing in my feed, or at least in my electronic communications, was we got an email um, yeah. to stay curious, which we get emails uh, occasionally. If you want to, uh, if you have a question, quip, quote, comment, or concern, you can email uh, stay curious at hillcityrva.com. We got an, a really good, thoughtful email exchange from our good friend Carol. Yeah. Um, she's a community member here and uh, in the boomer generation. And she, I, I kind of want to, again, maybe another retraction. I'm <laughs> bringing a retraction. But she brought up the great, a great point about um, when we were talking about generational um, friction mm-hmm. in our last episode. I kind of categorized or, or, or typified boomers as looking for the kind of respect that their parents as the, great, the greatest generation got. And Carol was like, well, but the boomers were the ones that were like, do in the 60s like sure. like yeah. the, we invented subculture rebellion literally and yeah. i can't believe i didn't think about that like i didn't even bring it up is yeah kinda, made me feel silly because i'm super interested in like the 60s and 70s i love reading about the hippie movement and the jesus movement and the new age like when the new age stuff came in and long hair and civil rights and like so it, it blows my mind that I made that sort of like misstep because I love yeah. talking about. Well, this I think stuff. it was like a good reminder of you know there's so many different angles and perspectives, mm-hmm. and even when we talk generationally, it's it's hard to pin like a group down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. So there you go. Thanks for for writing Carol and having that awesome conversation. And we've also gotten some other good emails recently about yeah. some things to address. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we're going to do an episode on CRT, critical race theory. Mm-hmm. I'm here coming up soon. And then um, and then Brittany had emailed in about, you know, some questions about, you know, um, what do we do with, like, essentially this is not the phrase she used, but God behaving badly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, how do we and answer, how do we answer some of these questions? So we'll do that. Yeah. Here in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. So keep the emails coming. We we absolutely love it. It sometimes takes us a while to get to your thing, but um, we we never we'll get an there. email. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to take a short break and then come back and talk about Mark 3 and um, some of the, the sort of finer points of where Jesus draws lines morally, socially, um, religiously, and how that kind of shook things up um, both back then and for us now. All right. Um, So, again, uh, we are in the middle of uh, a sermon series at our church. Is sermon uh, not the word I'm supposed to use anymore? Is it message series? (laughs) What do you like? You're the guy giving them. I know. For the most part. I mean, I still call them sermons. Okay. You know. Yeah. I mean, I one time called our our lobby the narthex, (laughs) and I thought you guys were going to fire me. Um, So I'm always worried. (laughs) I'm using the wrong words. Um, So yeah, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Won't He Do It, where we are kind of crawling through the book of Mark and just really, I think, soaking in all of the both big overarching themes and then a lot of the nuance. Yeah. Um, But as we said before, you've only got about 25 minutes to to preach on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to kind of continue to unpack some things that, that we didn't get to in our normal um, Sunday service. So we only got 25, but I typically take 33. <laughs> is it 33? Is it that specific? 
a lot of times it's usually in like 32 to 34 is like my normal. Yeah. And then sometimes I can't shut my pie hole and I'll get up to 36. Or yeah. And then all the guest services people start freaking out because they got to. <laughs> well, I mean, the human attention span right now is only like four minutes. So either way, whether it's 25 <laughs> or 35. I get you in and out a few times. There you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. John, give us a, a quick summary of sort of what's going on in Mark Three. Like, where are we at? We were jo- we were talking earlier about that show, The Chosen. Give us the like, uh, <laughs> give give us the the vista that we're looking at of where Jesus and his followers are at. Yeah. So basically, now what we've come into is you know Jesus comes in originally and he talks about the kingdom of God being near. He begins talking. He begins doing these miracles. Um, he uh, asks to have these new followers, these 12 disciples that join his team. And as I, there are more disciples than that, those are the 12 that are listed. There are other women and some other people that are just as involved. Um, and then essentially he's starting to become like a household name. I mean, the crowds are getting bigger around him. People are, are starting to ask about him. The religious teachers are starting to freak out because the people that once listened to them are now being like, no, this Jesus of Nazareth guy actually said, you know. And so there's becoming this dramatic shift that's happening. And so now we start seeing these interactions that Jesus is going to have with some of the teachers of the law. Mm -hmm. Um, We're starting to see, uh, we're starting to get up on the precipice of how some of these miracles are starting to play into Jesus having power over certain things. You know, we talked about the demonic stuff last time, but... You know, there's power over evil, there's power over the demonic, there's power over sickness and death. There's, um, we're going to see, and I'm going to preach on this this weekend, but the power over nature. You know, so there's these big significant things that are happening there. And then also like, we're, we're seeing like these little stories of just like personal interactions he's having with people. So it's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of leading up to chapter three, we have a scene at the end of chapter two, which I feel like. I said earlier, you and I could do probably a whole other podcast, like literally name the podcast and just talk about it uh, for a hundred episodes. Um, but you know, Jesus is sort of in the presence of sinners, quote unquote, mm-hmm. having dinner with um, those that the the local Jewish authorities would consider to be immoral. Um, and um, he says, "How can the guests of the bridegroom fast?" Oh, I'm sorry, that was when he was talking about fasting. But he gets into basically an analogy about like unshrunk cloth being sewed onto old garments and new wine being put into old wineskins and how that won't work. Um, this is a thing that is could still be super controversial. Like if somebody, you could really apply that or misapply it to almost anything. Like, you know, if anybody mm-hmm. comes at you about anything, like, hey, you're drinking a lot, you could be like, well, you know, <laughs> rethink your whole thing about <laughs> drinking because like Jesus says that you yeah. shouldn't put... Uh, old old garments uh, sewn onto new cloths. So you know, yeah. Um, so you can't imagine how how scandalous it was then. Well, yeah, especially when the whole idea of fasting, which is you know for them was like you're not eating, you're not you know, in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the premise was for the fast primarily was this longing for an expectation of the Messiah, mm-hmm. and of what was to come, and it was prepping yourself for that. And so when Jesus turns around, is like, hey, these these guys don't have to fast anymore because I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's like this groundbreaking thing that he's saying, but then it's like they go back and start fasting again because he's no longer here. Mm. And so it's like this, there's this longing and waiting for Jesus and then Jesus is there. So it's like, you don't need to fast anymore because I'm here, like yeah. experience me. But then when he 
dies and, you know, we believe he was risen again. Um, but then they go back to fasting because there's this longing for Jesus to be with us again. Mm. What do you think about fasting? Um, I would say out of all the spiritual disciplines, it's my weakest. Mm-hmm. Um, the times that I've done it have been fruitful most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I've thought about this a lot. And even like reading through Mark, I was just like, man, I, I've, I've got to like put this into my practice a little bit more. Um, I know a lot of people who do this as a regular practice and um, not for health reasons. It's just all spiritual. And um, I think fasting can be a wonderful discipline in someone's life when it's centered around prayer and like connecting with God. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it does drive something deeper inside of us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm a... I don't do it nearly as much as I should. Um, not out of like, when I say as much as I should, not out of being like, you should do this mm. 10 times a year. It, it's, um, but I, I should do it more because there's a connection point, I believe, that can happen with God. Here. Yeah, I think fasting and tithing are the two that, I don't want to say they're the most easily corruptible spiritual practices, but certainly in our culture, they're the two that you can most easily slip into a transactional, mm-hmm. you know, like I've heard a lot of, I didn't grow up with fasting as a big part of what we did. I think it, it's probably more pre- prevalent and um, more uh, more charismatic. Uh, although Catholics fast, yeah, Catholic, yeah. Um, but but uh, it seems like some of the um, negative sort of fasting stories I've heard have had a lot to do with a transactional view of it. Like we fasted and we prayed for thirty days, and so and so still died, or, yeah. or such and such still happened. And now, what do I do with what do I do with that? So I think that's that's something that I've always so I'm I'm doing like intermittent fasting right now partially for health stuff mm-hmm. but there's no denying that there's a spiritual element to it because really I am trying to um think more spiritually about my body. Yeah. Um and, and that's tough for me as well because yeah. I definitely emotionally eat and stuff like that. But in this case, do you feel like fasting is so they say you know it's it's a law for them but mm-hmm. they're also under like a theocracy right so like laws mm-hmm. and morals in this context are a little less delineated than for instance in our you know in a in a quote-unquote free democracy or yeah. whatever in our current context it's not illegal for you not to help the old lady across the street right but it is moral for you to do so so you can be immoral and still within the law whereas here do you feel like fasting is more of a moral issue or more of a legal issue? At this point in time, it got to be a little bit of both. I, you know, I think sometimes the Pharisees and the law and scripture get a bad reputation for being like, oh my gosh, they were just, everything was so demanding and everything. But really at the heart of what they were trying to do was get closer to God and prep themselves for God and honor God. Mm-hmm. And now, when you overburden yourself with laws and, you know, it went from, you know, at one point I think they had 632, if I'm not mistaken, like laws Mm -hmm. of things. It's like, it just became so, it was like, what do you mean I can't pick up this thing, you know, on a, on a Sabbath day? Like this doesn't make any sense. And, and some of those things ended up being like that the law became more important than the like meaning behind the law, which is what Jesus ends up talking about Mm -hmm. when he, with regards to the Sabbath. But I think, you know, Yes, there was a legal element that ended up getting there. That was not how it all started, though. And for a lot of people, that was not what it fully um, 
they were doing all of those things because they had a deep desire to connect with God. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, do you feel like, so if somebody were to say to you, and this is going to kind of play into when we get into Mark 3 of how God, how Jesus talks about his family and stuff like that, but if somebody says to you um, something effective like, well, the gospel teaches that morality is a cheap replacement for love, what's your response to that? So who's asking me this? Mm. Somebody who goes here. So somebody who professes to be a Christian, and they come and say, uh, morality, maybe they, I'm trying to think. (laughs) Now I'm trying to keep keep (laughs) dreaming up the role play. Um, It's not accusatory. It's not like, well, you're telling me I shouldn't live with my boyfriend, but isn't that just your morality? It's more just like, well, um, you know, in First Corinthians, when we talk about I can, you know, sing sing with the voice of or speak with the language of angels, but if I do so without love, I'm like a clanging gong. Is this uh, in the same way that when we get into Mark three, we're going to say, is Jesus saying your family's not important? Mm-hmm. Is part of what we're talking about here with old garments um, and old wineskins, and um, but also the sick needing a physician, so acknowledging that. The quote the sinners that he's with are sick. Um, is is Jesus um, putting love and relationship over simple morality, or is he simply saying laws are just human laws? What I'm talking about is something more. Yeah, so I think that when Jesus is always trying to get to the core and the heart of everything, so when you put in laws of morality, let's say, Mm -hmm. to just try and be like, just do these good things. Eventually, everyone humanly will twist those good things and make them bad things. Mm -hmm. Or they will take what was once good and somehow leverage it to make money. (laughs) Or so, you know, like that's like, that's just what we do with everything. And so Jesus is always attacking that and trying to get after the core of our hearts and the um, the realities of like what does love actually look like in the midst of this, and so he's not saying that moral acts are bad or that moral acts aren't even beneficial. He's not, you know, that's never what Jesus teaches. It's like, even when he talks to like the rich young ruler, he's not saying that you're bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's or that the guy is bad. He's just like, hey, you're still missing this one piece, mm-hmm. you know, and until you get that piece, you're gonna miss me. And so you might do a lot of good things and everything, but at the end of the day, you don't have that core element Mm -hmm. that actually is the transcendent piece of all of this. Mm. So like when, this is not the scripture we're talking about, but like when, is it in Mark where Mary breaks the um, perfume over Jesus? I'm not sure which guy. I I mean, it's in a couple of different gospels. So when, when, when Mary anoints Jesus with the expensive perfume Mm -hmm. and then wipes his feet with her hair, right? Judas says, we could have sold this and mm-hmm. given it to the poor, which is like a moral. Like He basically is saying, this is a moral, what's yeah. happening. And Jesus basically says, like, I, I, my reading of it, you can, mm-hmm. you can push back, is, yeah, that would be good. I mean, obviously he said you should give things to the poor, the poor are what's important. I'm here to preach freedom to the poor. But, like, I'm what's yeah important in this situation or like my way rather like what i represent which is god come to earth yeah is i could read it as more important than your very true moral assertion right here mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, in that story, the reality is, is if, if you kind of play it out a little bit further, Judas is looking at a transactional element mm-hmm. to maybe help someone and is dependent on that transactional element. Whereas Jesus is like, if everyone just had the heart of Mary, like the poor would be taken care of. Mm-hmm the heart issue is like the bigger issue. It's like what we see now, you know, when people start talking about like laws and stuff and, you know, this would be good for people. And it's like, it's true. Like this law that helps out with like some kind of racial disparity, whatever. Like it's true that law will help out, but guess what? We're just going to keep facing this stuff because in a heart level, it's not transformed. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't transcend anything. Mm -hmm. So would you say when somebody talks about moralism, and then we'll move on from this, because like I said, I started by saying we could do a whole another podcast <laughs> on just this. And we're going there. And we're going there right now. <laughs> when somebody talks about moralism, mm-hmm. um, so this idea of doing what's right because it's right, mm-hmm. is that different than um, a sort of gospel-driven fruit of the spirit act of love like is there a what's a what's an upside that you see to morals mm-hmm. and what's a downside that you see to morals the upside to morality or moralism mm-hmm. whatever is there is like a part if you do enough of the right things you end up seeing that it's the right thing to do do you know what I mean? You train yourself in the right way and you keep doing the good things that's why we meet good people mm-hmm. and you're like they make good choices and they do good things. And like, it'd be great if there were more people like them, even if they aren't Christians. Like that's a, that's a true statement. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that that can be really good. The downside to that is eventually you think you're doing all of it. Mm. And it leads yourself into believing you are the holder of morality and, um, and that there's no deeper kind of component to all of this. And so that you become kind of the king of your own life or you become the dictator. So then when someone else is like, yeah, but my morals are this way and then my morals are this way, you know, whatever, that's where things start to get really, really loose. Mm, Okay. Any last, before we move on, any last thoughts on this concept of, you know, he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Do you think he's talking just about fasting here or is there a wider implication? There's a wider implication there of like, you know, not only... Um, well, Jesus is this new. Everything about Jesus is new. It's a new creation, a new humanity, a new teaching, a new love, a new like. It's like you're trying to fit everything into what you once knew, mm-hmm. and you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like this is all new, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's the part that sometimes even we miss now to this day, two thousand years later, is we're always trying to like fit in like how we experience Jesus and everything into like these old ways that we we're you know raised with or whatever. Whereas it's supposed to be this transformative new way of living and thinking and, and, and acting in uh, the midst of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to keep pulling on this thread for just a second because I have one more thought that I'm curious. So what we're experiencing right now, John's not prepared for any of this stuff I'm asking him. <laughs> I'm legitimately curious about what he thinks about this stuff. Um, and we are having a friendship on microphones right now. Um, what um, do you think that – can you think of a, of a modern age – law in Christianity. So let's say, and when I say Christianity, I mean like Christendom, <laughs> like the, the structure of Christianity, yeah. right? Um, not the act of being like Christ. Um, is there something that you have encountered maybe growing up or recently that you would classify as we are being the the law keepers in this sense and that Jesus, if he were here today, might be like, you know... 
<laughs> That's a great question. Um, man, are you talking about more like um, what we see politically or around cultural things, the way that we engage in that way, or maybe either? Let me continue to set it up. So, if we, so you and I will compare. You even said it during your sermon about reading the Bible, and anytime it said Rome or Babylon, yeah. you would replace it with America yeah. in your head. So let's think about politics. Let's think about American government as Rome. Sure. Rome doesn't care about any of the things that they're talking about. They don't care if you <laughs> fast. They don't care who you eat sure. with. Yeah. They're not concerned. So those laws, the law of the land is not concerned with that stuff. Yeah. Now, there's the little fiefdoms of the of the Jewish teachers and, and the Jewish law, because mm-hmm. Rome has also been like, you know what, run it any way you want it. Sure. Maybe we'll see yeah. that as like states, <laughs> states' rights, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, so maybe less political and more culturally like is there a place where you've seen um, us as a as a body of as the body of Christ as a church take our morals, make them more like laws, and then use them in unhelpful ways? Man, Gosh. I'm not fishing either. I'm legitimately no, I'm curious. I'm just trying to think of like an example. Um, Stumped me. <laughs> it's okay. I'll cut all this out. It'll sound like you had a quick. If you get an answer, it'll sound like you. Had yeah, a quick. I'm just trying to think. Like, you can tell I'm fasting because I think I'm wondering if it's picking up. My my stomach keeps growling. I, I don't okay, hear it. Don't hear it. This, no. Um, man, I'm drawing a blank, Matt. Mm. Of like. Uh, it's okay. I can cut it along. Are you drawing a blank, or would you be nervous about being unjudicious? Well, you know, I'm just trying to think. I was trying to, you know, like so. Here's an example of of one that could be a possibility that Jesus actually teaches on. You know, like when, you know, when. When Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, mm. you know, um, there's this part of it where I feel like um, what has happened within the Christian church, and this is more the American church, though I can't speak to different sure. cultures, but in the American church that we believe there's this big tie-in to like who we are as a nation and the mm. purveyors of strength and the purveyors of um, truth and, and everything else and there's this like unhealthy tie-in between the church and it feels like there's this kind of law of like all violence is justified mm-hmm. you know in the way that we begin to think about it and how we treat other people and we become numb to violence and I think Jesus would come in and he would teach in the same way in this a lot of times I read the Sermon on the Mount I feel like it's so applicable to today like it's mm-hmm. like when we talk about turning the other cheek do we do we really have this idea of like what it really means to love our enemies or have that kind of mindset of of being able to be gracious in the midst of this stuff. And I think what ends up happening is um, we create sometimes these fictitious um, attachments to power and strength that aren't the realities of how Jesus teaches. Like his vision of power and strength is very different than what, you know, what we see in a kind of culturally. 
Well, do you have like a perspective? I on mean, that? a first thought would be so a thought that I keep having, and some of it has to do with listening to that um, Holy Post podcast on Jesus and John Wayne. One of the things that she says there is she's talking about the Cold War. Mm hmm. And she's talking about moral clarity. And I think she uses the word that like the intoxication of moral clarity um, of just like knowing who the good guys are, which is something that in World War II, we had a lot of moral clarity. These We still do it. I mean, like how many video games are based on World War II and the Cold War? It's just like, these are the bad guys. These are the good guys. And this is what it is. And I just keep thinking about, um, you know, the concept of sober mindedness. Um, that Paul talks about and that Jesus talks about, um, and how intoxicating moral clarity can be. It's so interesting. It's the only thing that is a burden and also an intoxicant. Sure. Yeah. Maybe not the only thing, but it, and just the, and when we think about, to your point about the violence, uh, or, you know, like sort of how we circumvent a lot of the Sermon on the Mount to justify strength mm -hmm. and violence and stuff like that. Um, I just think about how much of that is the result of our absolute intoxication with the moral clarity of World War II and the Cold War. And I just wrote down that moral clarity is a cheap replacement for love. And I've just been thinking about like, but is that, is that just a nice thought I had or is that like, is there biblical, you know, support for it? Um, well, there's certainly biblical support for it because... Jesus is talking, well, like when he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to the most moral people out there. Right. So like, I think there's a lot of, um, when Jesus is constantly saying like, well, you have heard it said, but I'm telling you it's this way. He is constantly addressing like, I get it. You guys do a lot of good things. I get it. You know, in um, uh, Matthew 23, the woe to the Pharisees, you know, he's talking about, you whitewashed tombs and like you got to clean the inside first. Mm -hmm. And whereas like the morality part is all the outside, like that's what people see. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like constantly going in. So you, there is a lot of ground, biblical ground there to say like, we get it. Like doing all the right things like looks good, but Jesus is always like, that's not the answer. And it never is because you end up building your own kingdom or you end up doing your own way or you get, you get duped so easily. Like these guys, like the Pharisees in Scripture, they were super moral people who followed all these biblical guidelines, created more of them to try and make it more strict, yet they went arm in arm with the, with the Roman government on mm -hmm. some things because it, they could leverage their power to be able to do certain things culturally. Mm -hmm. you know. And so Jesus is always talking about that stuff, about not, to your point about morality being a, I don't remember the right, the exact you know phrasing you used um but like that is a cheap substitute for actual love being the you know right. the, the the centerpiece of the discussion and even when it comes to um the whole i mean think about think about how like so much in our country and i was actually jotting down a note here today for just a social media post i'll probably do this weekend but our entire system right now is set up around fear, mm. right? You fear the other side. You fear what the other news channel says. You mm. fear and like what someone else might think differently than you. You fear the Democrats. You fear, fear black people, white people, whatever. Like you fear, 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 fear. And it causes all this division and hate. And at the end of all of that, you can't find an ounce of scripture to support that. 
yet... As a matter of fact, the most repeated, as we said last time... fear not. <laughs> yeah. Fear not. And, you know, or love your enemies and, like, mm-hmm. all this different stuff. And, and so we're making people and systems and all this stuff, like, we're always making those things the enemy culturally. And the problem is, is that the church keeps jumping in on all these things. And so the end result is, is we end up not loving. We end up not showing grace or empathy or compassion or any of those things, all any of the one another's that, you know, we're taught to. And so this whole morality piece circumvents and actually goes above and beyond when Jesus teaches about love. Mm. Yeah, that's a good thought. I Yeah, I just keep thinking about like... It's funny when you're saying that, the only thing I can ever think is fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Fear is the path to the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And probably how much of my theology (laughs) accidentally comes from Star Wars. Um, But yeah, I mean, just thinking about, like, again, this intoxication of moral clarity, whether it's the moral majority, right, Mm -hmm. in the 80s, 80s, 90s, whether it's Cold War or World War II or whatever, or cancel culture. Like, yeah. which is, you know, considered a left-leaning thing. Mm-hmm. It's all the, it's all like the intoxication, the absolute removal of our sober-mindedness through the drug of moral clarity. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it, and it, and I, it all goes back to, in my head, I just keep thinking like, if in Gladiator, uh, Maximus goes out into his first fight and drops a sword and gets on his knees and prays and allows himself to be martyred it's not a movie right like there's no f yeah moment you know that you get to stand up and cheer uh or if at the end he finally you know meets the whatever joaquin phoenix is like terrible caesar Mm -hmm. and it's just like you know you seem hurt let's talk about it like there's no (laughs) yeah we we long for that moral clarity of like Mm -hmm. definitive action yeah um well more clarity puts you you, you automatically elevate yourself above someone else. Yeah. Right? Because you're like, I do the right things or I think the right things or whatever. And this is, I think, again, we see this in Mark 2. We see this in Mark 3 when when Jesus is like blurring the lines of like, who's my family? Like all mm-hmm. that stuff. And he's doing all of these things because this is like, this is why following Jesus is so difficult. And I, and I really do mean that because it, it's always at war within your soul and in your head because you're just like, oh man, if I want to follow Jesus, like... It's my natural inclination is going to want to be like the moral person or, Mm -hmm. you know, I know better or whatever. And I think what Jesus consistently does is he hovers in this middle or gray space all the time. And we aren't comfortable in that because that's where the most tension is. It's easier to jump further on one side or another to something, which is what morality, like even if you just look at it culturally right now, the far left and far right they both think they're morally correct mm-hmm. and um, that they have all the answers. Where, where where Jesus resides, though, is he's constantly in that middle part. He's constantly in that gray area. He's constantly... This is why it's so difficult, um, I think, for Christians a lot of times to be like, someone comes in and they've got a checkered past or they think you know a certain way or have done certain things. And it's like, our responsibility is love, grace, empathy, compassion, like bear one another's burdens, all those things, and step into that. And you hope for certain things for someone, but like the process might not be as quick as you want or whatever. And so Jesus is always like pushing us into this like blurring of the lines of Mm -hmm. like how we try to separate all the time or blurring of the lines of saying like, you've just tried to elevate yourself over that person. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like you think about when it says like honor one another or whatever, you know, some of the one another's it's like, 
we can't do those things if we're consistently like elevating ourselves. Yeah. You know, and that's what morality does. Yeah. And I think that's what I was getting at the, the idea of like, is morality a cheap substitution for love? Because I think morality says your friend comes to you and says, you know, things have been hard at home and there's this woman at work and I just, we really vibe and like, you know, you know, morality says like, no, you can't do that because it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Love says, are you going to be happy if you like, really, are you going to flourish? Are your kids going to flourish? Are, is this, is this helpful? Yeah. (laughs) Ultimately, you know, and I think we get this thing of like, well, you know, if you just live that way and you don't, you're not moralistic, then people will just do whatever they, how will you prove to somebody that it's not good for them to cheat on their spouse? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you got to go a little deeper because they may think, yeah, this will make me happy. This is what I should do. But if you drill down with them, you're like, is this what's good for everyone in this situation? Really? Including yourself? Are you really going to live a better, flourished, you know, more, more evolved life? Um, Yeah. When you continue to peel back the layers all the time. And that's what love does. Morality doesn't peel back. Correct. Morality just says it's all exterior, right? Right. It's all exterior. And so like someone who like, I've literally sat with couples where there has been adultery, let's say. Mm -hmm. And, um, the person has said to me like, well, I'm just not happy. Mm-hmm. And the best thing for me and the best thing for our relationship, the best thing for my, I was like, I started looking for quote unquote love somewhere else and I don't want to be in this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to like engage someone else. And in that moment though, they thought that was the right decision because they're like, I'm not happy over here anymore. Yeah. Our marriage is over anyway. There's no love there anymore. And so they justify these actions. Mm-hmm. And even you might say like, well, they're not, they don't really think it's good. But a lot of times people do think it's like okay to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and they justify all those things. Whereas like as you begin to pe- peel the le- you know layers back all the time, which is like the loving thing to engage and figure out and all mm-hmm. that stuff, it becomes a way deeper. Yeah. Yeah. You really put that word happy on trial yeah rather than i think morality puts the not you are you're not Mm -hmm. and so what's moral based on that whereas i think love puts the emphasis on well what does it mean for you to be happy yeah is that just mean getting what you want in the moment or having more intimacy with you know physical intimacy like what does that mean let's like let's pull that back so I think that's what I was getting at. Okay, I'm going to cut into this conversation really quick uh, because it got really long. And so we're going to make it two conversations. Um, if you have quips, questions, comments, or quotes, you can email them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Tune in next time for the second part of this two-part conversation on Mark 2 and 3. Uh, and as always, remember to stay curious. curious.